I'm Emily Kyle, and this is Local. This is a conversation with Queenstown Local, born and bred. Sophie Suda? Just as Deb and I recorded multiple conversations, so too did Sophie and I. This recording is our first. question that we've been starting off with is how would you describe yourself? Just a pretty easygoing, happy person, I guess. Yeah. 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 So you were born in the old hospital here in Queenstown? Yeah, yep, in yeah. 1987. What was it like growing up here? Interesting. It was hard, it was very isolated and... Due to just family reasons, we just spent a lot of time outside in the in the bush, up the mountains and in the creeks, really. And, yeah, the rain didn't bother us. We'd go and get saturated and that would just be okay if we were used to it. Yeah. 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 And what was your, what was your family like? Were you, was it a big family? No, so I'm one of three. I've got a younger brother and an older sister. Um... So I was the middle child, which I don't know, I guess we're the problem child <laughs> and I lived up to that. But, um, yeah, so my mum's got bipolar so that made the home life pretty difficult at times but um, it was what it was and we just made the most of what we kind of had, I guess. Yeah. 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 What was the um, community like back then? Very close, a lot of focus around the mine, like mine, mining was the big big thing in the town, I guess, and hasn't been for the past six or seven years. But, um, yeah, it was a very tight-knit community and all the kids knew each other, like we'd all hang out together up the street or in in the bush and camping a lot and... Yeah, it's a very close-knit community, it, like like it is now. It was back then as well, so, mm. yeah. When we were talking yesterday, yeah. uh, you had mentioned that Debbie Jago had played a significant role in your early childhood. Yes. Would you be willing to talk about that? Yeah, so I was um, really good friends with her youngest and older daughter as well. Um, so when home life was pretty crap at home, like Debbie would always be there to feed me, give me a roof over my head, give me a kick up the arse if I needed it as well. Um, you know, she's a very strong woman and she played a big part in the person that I am today and I'm pretty grateful to have had her in my life, you know. Yeah. 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 Can you think of other people, were there other people who sort of played similar roles for you? 
I look back now and I see that there are a lot of adult influences in my life that probably weren't the best and they didn't have my best interest at heart. Um, you know, they might have let me do things that weren't acceptable at that age. And I don't know, looking back, it, it makes me realise that, you know, there are people that take advantage of, of your age and um, by letting you do things that aren't really suited for children that you think that's cool. But looking back now, I see that they're not really cool people. If that Does that make sense at yeah. all? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, no, Debbie was definitely like the main kind of person, I think. Um, yeah. If, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, you seeing that, it, it sort of, it has me thinking with a, with a turbulent home life and sort of w- wanting to not always be in that turbulence, so going out into the bush and into the, out into the community, uh, and, and with those sort of not so positive influences, do you feel that perhaps you needed to grow up a little bit faster than you would have liked? In Definitely. Hindsight? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, it's looking back, like I, you know, I see other kids that were my age and I think, wow, you know, you're you're still a child, you're enjoying your childhood, you know, like don't don't lose that and don't. Um, don't wish your childhood away, you know, like it's it's so precious, I think, and like it's sad to look back and see that, you know, you, you lose that and once it's gone you can't get it back, you know, like, mm. yeah, yeah. And, and witnessing it with my own son, like I just wish he'd take it back a step and just enjoy still being a kid, you know, and not not want to be a grown-up so so soon. It's it's an eye-opener, definitely. Um, having kids of your own, you, you it changes the way you see things and, you know, just because you did things at those ages, it doesn't mean that it's, it's acceptable for your children to do it and you don't want that for your children, you know. Like it's, it's different, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering what... What kind of role, you know, because when we when we look back on that time and this incredible sort of moonscape um, and, and, you know, at that time sort of the, the forest starting to regenerate and, and going out into those spaces as a young child and um, camping and um, how, how important were those times for you? Very important. We... <clears throat> We were in control of that, do you know what I mean? We were, it was our playground, um, you know, there were no adults there telling us what to do. We could just be ourselves and create these little worlds for ourselves, you know, and, yeah, it was it was pretty cool and I like to show that to my kids as well. But, yes, it did have a big impact, I think, on me and um, Maybe at the time I didn't appreciate it, but I look back now and realise how lucky we were to have to have this as our backyard, you know, like... Did um, you feel safe? Yes, yeah. Well, there are so many places here that um, your average Joe Blow or, you know, non-local West Coasters, they don't even know these places exist, you know, and we were safe. Yeah, we were. Um, we had our fires and stuff like that and... 
you know, we'd cook and sleep in tents, but we we were safe in a sense that we were the only ones that could kind of hurt ourselves by falling down a mountain mm. or something. Do you know what I mean? Or burning ourselves. It or... didn't feel like there was an outside danger. No, no. It was like, um, I don't know if you've seen um, Tomorrow When the War Began or read the books. Yes, yeah, I remember. That's what it was like. It was like our own little world, you know, and we could escape the town and just go and have our own little life, I guess, you yeah. know. Where, and there were no phones. We didn't have mobile phones back then. I think it was just, you know, the old boom boxes with the batteries and our yeah. tapes and stuff and we were happy with that, you know. Yeah, it's, mm. it's pretty special when, when I think back, you know, like so many people don't get to experience life in that way, you know. It's mm. so... Um, the people aren't made to feel that they can survive and they're not capable of, you know, living away from all this, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you um, at some point did leave the West Coast. How old yeah. were you then? Um, 17, I think. Yep. And then, yeah, I moved um, my eldest son's father is originally from Queenstown as well and he left to be with his dad and stuff in Western Australia. So um, we were apart for a little while and then, yeah, I decided to move over there with him and, yeah, that was different. Yeah, what was it like? Were you were you also in a small community in WA or was it more built up? Or? So Kaggle is like... Um, kind of Queenstown but on a bigger scale mm. and um, there are a lot more Aboriginals which don't bother me but it's pretty sad to see how some of them lived and, um, yeah, it was a really rough kind of place if you, if I think about it, like a lot of drugs, a lot of sex, um, crime, like more bikers than that. It, mm. You know, it was people worked hard and played hard, I guess, and that was just the lifestyle. Of yeah, sometimes I think that that should be the the state motto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely an eye-opener. And um, so my eldest son's dad left me for another woman and um, my kind of life, my life just snowballed out of control and... Um, got to the point where I knew I had to just come home, otherwise things were just going to end really badly for me. So I um, packed my house up, packed my son up and we, we moved home, yeah. And was I 21 then, I think? Wow, that's young. I, you know, I think of 21 as still feeling like such a baby myself. Yeah, you know? yep, yep. Um, yeah, I still feel really young though. <laughs> I feel so old. <laughs> but I'm I'm older than you, like, you know, that's hilarious. But um yeah, no, I think um I don't know, something just pulled me back here. This this was where I knew I I had to be and I knew that it was a great place to raise my son as well. Um not so much from family support, but um, 
you know, the friends, Debbie Jago helped me get a house and Mm -hmm. helped me get things for my house and, you know, um, to... To be in in Kalgoorlie, I really had nobody, you know, mm. and it was it was hard, you know, in such a big place. Just that feeling of community support and spirit, like you can't find that anywhere else. I don't think. I mean, yeah, I think it's really interesting over the course of you know, sort of doing this podcast. So often conversations regarding isolation come up, um, you know, referring to the West Coast and referring to Queenstown. Personally, for me, I I don't feel isolated here. So, you know, what I feel like I'm hearing you saying is that in Kalgoorlie, in this bigger place where there were, you know, more people and potentially more things, um, you you were feeling isolated in that space. Yeah, yeah. So how, if you could... I know this might be sort of a strange question, but if you could, I guess, describe what that isolation felt like for you. Um, was it lonely? Very. It was very lonely. I had, like, two really good friends. That was pretty much it. And, like, a a big house with just me and my son. And people weren't as kind and, and friendly over there, you know. Like, it was... It was very lonely and now I look back and, you know, you don't you don't just find friends just like that. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it takes time to build those relationships and uh, it, it was hard to kind of get out and find that sense of community over there. Like it was not there for me at all, you know, like. You know, there's this idea of... of- what being local means, you know, especially in smaller places. Um, and I know that it, it does exist here, even if it's sort of half-heartedly joking kind of, but, um, you know, you were born here, considered a local. Did you feel like an outsider over there? Definitely, yeah. And, oh, you know, like I could party, 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 but that wasn't... That wasn't fitting in as such, do you know what I mean? You can go on, you know, party on the weekend but that's not going to make you really good friends, do you know what I mean? That's not going to make you fit in because it's it's a totally different lifestyle, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's not, it's not the kind of life that I needed at the time, do you know what I mean? That was more self-destructive and people didn't really care. You know, like it wasn't, I don't, does that make sense? Mm, You know, yeah, and it it was, it was hard and it was lonely and I had to make that choice that, you know, if I stay here, I'm I'm really going to ruin my life and potentially lose my son or I can go home where I know that I belong and I will have the support that I need, like mentally um, to have a house and, and stuff as well and it's not, it's not an issue, you know, like there there are people there willing to help, which you, I don't know. Did you, did you feel some sense of relief when you got back here? Definitely. Um, driving home or even flying into Tassie, like I became extremely emotional. Um, and then like my dad, 
my dad come and got me from up the coast, me and Angus, and, um, yeah, driving, like, back to the west, like, I was very emotional as well and it was a sense of relief. Um, I felt safe. I felt that, um, you know, I belonged somewhere and I knew that things were going to get better because I was coming home, you know, like, Mm. yeah. That's really beautiful. It is beautiful and it makes me emotional now, like, um, I'm so lucky, like, to have this place to call home where I feel so connected to, like, I, I couldn't find this anywhere else, you know. Like, it's it's truly an amazing place and it's really done something to my heart and, and my soul, like, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. And now, you know, you're a few more years down the track and you've got two more beautiful boys with yeah. your wonderful husband yeah. and a family home right on the river. Yep, yep. It was interesting uh, when we were speaking the other day, um, we were talking about what what the river looked like and that, you know, that, that you were working on your garden and nothing seemed to be growing yep. and then realising that actually underneath the dirt was all of this trash. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, what what how did that come to be? Yeah, so um, before the houses were built in the street that I live, it was basically the dumping ground for the town's waste and, and rubbish, like, and a lot of sewerage would go into the river as well and just a lot of metal rubbish. There is that much junk under the dirt up my way. It's, it's, it's crazy, <laughs> you know, compared to, you know, we've got tips now, what are they, waste disposal sites, Um so obviously before the houses were built, it was acceptable to just dispose of your rubbish wherever <clears throat> you kind of felt felt the need to, I guess, yeah. There's something, you know, we talk about the, the land sort of regenerating and the forests, uh, this kind of great reclamation. Yeah. Um, but it's that same kind of sense in the, in what you're talking about where you've got this, your family home where your children are raised, where you and your husband uh, uh, have your beautiful relationship and the garden that you're cultivating and and knowing that underneath these layers of dirt is is, is metal rubbish. Yeah. You just existing in that space and making it beautiful and safe, that feels like a reclamation as well. Definitely. I think humans have, have learnt a lot from the damage that we've caused to this land and especially this part of Tasmania as well. I mean, we're right next to World Heritage stuff and yet mm. we've polluted the water, we've used everyday land as for landfill, you know, for trash. Um, it still happens now, like don't get me wrong, I see Crisco boxes float down the river, you know, <laughs> near Christmas time and think, really? Like... <laughs> Um, but yes, it's a really beautiful sense, um, to, to grow things and to make things beautiful considering how, how much we destroyed before we realised the environmental impact that, that mining, um, pulling the trees down, polluting the waterways, 
it's it's nice to be able to heal the land as well and make it green and mm. you know like even if my veggie patch won't grow but um, <laughs> that's okay that's a work in progress so but yeah it's it's quite interesting and like like I said I went to the museum today to just try and find a bit more history out about um our street and before the houses were there it was just bare and obviously a lot of rubbish thrown there and you know it's 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 changing gradually, I think, and I think people are, are starting to respect, you know, nature a lot more and the environment and realising that what they do does have an impact, you know, and um, I think it's very important and especially with kids, I think that they need to understand the impact that they can have on the environment as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about you know, the the experience that you had as a child here and now raising three children of your own here, what are you going through, you know, as there's the the, the next, you know, the mother, the, this this previous generation raising the new generation, what it, what sort of comes to mind doing that in the, in the same place but at a different time? So it it's a big eye-opener to see just how little there is for young people. I mean, the West Coast Community Hub played a massive role in me raising my two younger children. Um, Without that, I think I probably would have went a bit crazy. Um, (laughs) It was, you know, a place where mums and dads can bring their young children and and have that support and have access to... um, health services like both my little boys had stutters um so that we could uh, get onto like the speech therapist and you know the health nurse and everything like it's brilliant you've got the library lots of programs and stuff but so that's um birth is it birth to five and once your child turns six they can't go to the they can't use the play space anymore Mm. which is a bit sad like you know to have to have this place in their life for so many years and then bang you hit this age and sorry you're too old now to go there I think that's a bit a bit sad um well is it the only indoor space available I mean there, there is the PCYC yep but other than that it's the hub yeah yep and that's sort of you know and with the sort of very unpredictable weather patterns um, to have, you know, two spaces, one of which isn't accessible for children over the age of five. Um, It's not ideal. It's not really. And, I mean, like I see this with my eldest son, where is there for them to go? Like he's 14 and, you know, they've got the skate park which is beside the basketball stadium with these lovely little sheds, you know, like um, and rusty skate park to kind of hang out at or the park basically and that's that's kind of all there is for them, you know, like which is pretty sad, isn't it? Mm, and then you do get that that mingling of, you know, the, the younger children with the older children. Yep. You know, as we were talking about the other day, you know, the, the 
the older children are bored. They are, yeah. You know, and yeah. when when you're bored, you can either do something constructive or destructive, and yeah. more often than not, it's it's destructive. Definitely, yep. Um, but also, like, the lack of awareness for the services that are available to them, you know, mm-hmm. like, like I said, like, a community house here would be brilliant, you know. They could practice their L tests and stuff like that, you know, um, have, like, an indoor kind of basketball little court thing where they could shoot some hoops and even PlayStation so they can have, you know, do a bit of gaming mm. and whatever, Um but with like a a counselor or you know an adult there, but a, a good role model, you know that mm. that that is there, and where they can access services. I mean, I don't know how many teenagers feel they're comfortable about talking to their parents about like sex, drugs, you know, STDs, mm. lots lots of things, you know. Um, uh, being able to talk about healthy relationships as well, like there's nowhere for them to kind of access any of that, which mm. is sad. Like what we're not leaving them with many options, you know, and I feel that the, their teen years are the most hardest but the most important. They learn so much and without um, healthy role models and safe places, then what hope have they got? You know, mm. they, they're going to make some wrong choices and I don't know, it's it's hard. Mm. But I think, like, what's what's council doing about it, you know? Mm. I, I can't be the only one that has a teenager in Queenstown, you know, that, that would like more and that deserves more, you know? Like, mm. yeah. So there's this the, obviously incredible movement for the bike trails that are happening at the moment. Yeah. Um, it seems that the focus is really heavily on that aspect of tourism for Queenstown. Yep. And, um, you know, in, in light of what you're talking about, how, how do you feel about this attention being, you know, really directed towards this, uh, this push for tourism? Yep. Um, I'm all for, for tourism. Like, I um I promote the West Coast on a daily basis when I can. Like I'm so passionate about it. I tell tourists, oh, how long are you here for? Oh, two days. I'm like, we're well, gonna have to come back. Like that's not <laughs> enough time to kind of. Yeah. Um, I find it really bizarre and like like we were talking yesterday. Um, I have seen the bike track on the mountain and it it's. It doesn't look right, you know. It's like, what, what, what is going on here? Why would you do that? I mean, after everything that that we've been through, or the town has been through, the land has been through, I, I don't feel that that was the best approach. And for tourism, you know, don't you want to appreciate nature in itself? If you're zooming down a mountain, how how is that appreciating? nature Mm. you know and I I do believe like I I have no idea how much money was involved with the bike track with the little wash stations and stuff that are popping up over town but I believe that money could be directed in other places to support locals to support our local youth they they are the future of this town but if there's nothing here for them they're going to do what I did and leave do you know what I mean and 
some may or may not come back. I mean, um, gets it's really quite confronting, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about these um, pretty consistent, you know, media, you know, news articles and things popping up online that consistently refer to the West Coast as a quote-unquote ghost town or Queenstown having two feet in the grave, um, you know, sort of in in reference to the bike trails sort of being the thing that's going to bring the West Coast back from the brink of, of death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, wow. I, I don't believe that's true at all without... Without the bike track, I mean, I, I see a lot of people, a lot of tourists, they are not in their spandex, their, you know, whatever they wear to mountain bike stuff. <laughs> but um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they actually come here to, you know, look at the history of the place, um, go to Strong, go to Zion, um, really get amongst it and learn about the history. Uh, I don't know. I don't really understand the bike track thing, really, mm. like... Um, I'm all for new things. That's fine, but I, I don't believe that it that that that's the saving grace of the West Coast. You know, I feel that we kind of hold our own. Like, I've read some blogs. Like, what is it? The most shittiest towns in Australia, or something. And Queenstown comes up a lot, and mm. a lot of people have a big kind of back and forwards argument about this and that, but. I think to come here and spend time and learn about the place, learn about the people, um, you know, you're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. I mean, I don't think that Queenstown's got one foot in the grave. I, I, don't, I don't feel that at all. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit sad with all the, the shops that have been brought by certain individuals that are just sitting there not being used for anything like... And me, personally, I know if, if you don't um, use these buildings, if they're just left to sit for years and, and that, then they, they decay, you know. They need, mm. they need people in them. They need... And very, very quickly. Very, yeah. Yeah, yep. Due yep. to all of the, the rain and the moisture. Yeah, and the... yep. So why, why would you go and buy so many properties and not do anything with them? or make it harder for people to open businesses in them and charging through the roof rent or setting them up as hairdressers when we've already got a hairdresser. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. that, that seems very strange. And to not even be really involved with the locals to find out what we need or what what avenue could they take to really, you know, start a, a good business, you know, that's going to thrive Um like that doesn't make sense to me, hmm. you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then you've got, you know, like hunters. It's taken that long to kind of um, get the grants and to fix it up. I mean the the barricades out the front just looked absolutely terrible for, what was it, like three, nearly four years or something. Like it just, was it, has it been that long? It's been a while. It's been a while? It's been quite a while. Yeah, because that was the the... Uh, balcony, which yeah. was hanging over the street yep. or hanging over this sort of walkway, yep. needed to be repaired. But I, I do sort of remember um, 
some article, news article coming out about that saying that, you know, there's only so much funding available for um, heritage-listed buildings. Yep. Uh, and that the Hunter's Building just wasn't a priority in the big scheme of things for the Tasmanian government. What is priority for the Tasmanian government, though? <laughs> like, it makes me really frustrated. But, but see, like, you've got someone that's not even from here that comes in and... Um, takes a gamble and is actually passionate about um, mm. preserving and fixing up this building and um, people have made it so hard for him. Like it's really sad. But then other people can come in and buy seven or eight different properties, do nothing with them, have no desire to to do something with them or make it easy for other people to do something with them, but we just allow that to happen. Like how does that work? Mm. It's really strange. I find it really bizarre. And um, what what do you do? I don't know. Go to council meetings. Yes, yes. go to council meetings. <laughs> I'm going to. But, yeah, like it's um, everyone's got so many different opinions. I mean it, it's sad what, what some people will say about this place but have never actually been here themselves, you know, and do you feel that this town's turning into a ghost town or? Yeah, you know, when I... When I first came here, um, and, you know, I've only been here for a few years, I, I felt that the town was very much alive and that perhaps on a surface level it seemed like this sleepy little place, but there was actually so much activity yep. happening underneath and you really only had to be there for, you know, a day or two before everything just started opening up and, yep. and it and the picture was so different as soon as you started a conversation with someone. Yeah. You know, it is it is really difficult to watch watch people come come into town and make a snap judgment. And it, and it's disappointing because the narrative of the ghost town, the dying town. I mean, it's been done. Yeah. It's such a, I mean, it's so predictable. The fact that that can sort of be, you can get away with that as, as a piece of good news doesn't really make any sense. I mean, you drive out to Linda, that's a ghost town. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, but, but in itself, it's still beautiful in its own right. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I feel like I've always said this, from I don't know why I started saying it, but it's the truth though. Without, um, you know, without Queenstown, Strawns and Rosebury and Tulla, if we didn't have all of those places, the other ones wouldn't survive. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They kind of need each other. We're not just one place. Like the West Coast is a whole place, you know. There might be roads between destinations but... We need each other, you know, to survive, I guess. And I don't think you can just label one town as the ghost town. Like, I mean, you know, I think the West Coast is a whole place. It's not just one place, you know. Um, mm. You know, a town is not just a separate place, you mm. know. It is a whole place, if that makes sense at all. Yes. And, and I strongly believe that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. But I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll stick up for this place. I love it. 
it doesn't worry me. I know that there's good here and that, you know, there are great people here and it all depends on how you see you see the place and what you're willing to find out about it. You know, you can't you can't just drive into town and judge it and be like, yep, see you later. It's like you need to spend the time here and 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 dig a little and and really find out. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about uh, last year I recorded a conversation with um, Aviva Endine who is um, uh, a, a wonderful sort of experimental musician and she's done some incredible work and she was talking a lot about active or attentive listening so that the person that is is listening to what she's creating has to do some work to really hear it. And I think this idea of someone coming to the West Coast as as an observer and not actively engaging with the space is, is, I think, in my mind, the biggest issue. Yeah. Um, or, or the the problem, which is you know more so that it's this, ju- just as you say about the bike trails, you know, rapidly moving through a space. How much of it can you really see? Um, so I think it's very easy to label or uh, put into a box something that you've not made the effort to understand. Yep. And I don't know why the responsibility for Queenstown or the West Coast to be understood falls on the people that live here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that argument of, you know, people are having a conversation and it's not, uh, there's a misunderstanding. Well, who who's responsible for the misunderstanding? The person who has said it, have they said it incorrectly? Or the person that's listening, are they not listening attentively? Yeah, yeah. And I so I think you know, relegating the responsibility to West Coast locals to show that there is value in simply being a strong community. I mean, it's not it's not enough for that to happen. The, the other groups need to be able to hear that and see Definitely. that. Yeah. But then it comes back to we are humans are so judgmental anyway. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But we don't mean to... Some of us don't mean to be, but but we are. But that's mm. just what we are, you know. Well, it's a survival tactic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I guess we're scared of things that we don't understand or, you know, something looks a bit different or, you know, we better quick run <laughs> or something, <laughs> you know. But um, I don't know. I meet a lot of people that do take a lot of time out to kind of get to know this place and, mm. and you know, their their opinion changes and they they do see how beautiful and how lucky that we are. Like um, even now when I go away, like it feels really good to get out of Queenstown, don't get me wrong, but um, coming home like on the Anthony Road and, you know, the mountains open up and you're just like, oh, my God, like we're in the middle of nowhere. Look how beautiful this is. How lucky are we? Like I'm going home, you know. Um, you don't have that when you're up the coast, you know. Mm. We are isolated, yes, but I think it's the most beautifulest isolation I've ever bloody seen, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah. Have you got any more questions, Emily? No, I think that that's wonderful. That's wonderful? Yeah. Is there anything that you feel like you would have 
like to have said and didn't or? Um, not really, but you can have a listen and you can play it back to me once yeah. you've done whatever yeah, you do. Yeah. And then if there's anything else that you think we could add, then I'm quite happy to, to have another go. Absolutely. It's a bit fun. It is. It is. It is. Well. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. This is local. This project would not be possible without the incredible community of folks who make time to chat, nor would it be possible without the tremendous support of the West Coast community. If this episode offered you something good, please consider rating the show via Apple Podcasts. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is supported by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Quartz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund. For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or localthepodcast on Facebook and Instagram.